The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Temptations lose their power when thou 
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to read for you in the opening today a passage of Scripture. Lord, as we come to your word, I invite everyone to come and sit in the dust with me. For Lord, you are the Almighty, the great God of heaven and earth. I pray now that you will hear the cry of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you will meet us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand, marked off the heavens? Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge? Or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. They are regarded by him as as worthless, less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare to him? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each one by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, 
My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the God we serve, awesome in power, mighty, full of compassion and love, full of mercy for us. And we are but, as Moses said to Jesus, as they were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, I am but dust and ashes. I invite you today to come and sit with me in the dust. I invite you to come and sit in humility with me in the dust. When we sit in the dust, we begin to understand who we are and what we're made of. We were made of dust, and we were all born in sin. Every man and every woman, every boy and girl that is now in the heavenly realm with Jesus was born as a sinner. And they had to cry out to God. They had to gain the victory over their flesh. They had to be given a new heart. And to do that, they had to sit in the dust. They had to let go of their angry arrogance, their hostility toward God. In the, in the book of Luke, 17th chapter, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he was leaving Galilee, coming up to Samaria. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus answered them. He shouted, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, 
he came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. Please, he threw himself in the dust, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Nine Jews, one Samaritan. The hated people by the Jews, the the ones considered less than human, but they had all been brought down to that subhuman lepers, unclean. They were equal. They were all unclean and could not go about in public. They had to remain distant. And when they were walking anywhere close to anybody, they had to cover their mouth with their hand and cry aloud, unclean, unclean, unclean. They lived in caves. They died a horrible death as their fingers, toes, nose, mouth, face was eaten away by the disease. There was a stench of death about them. They come and cry out to Jesus. Jesus says, go. Go to the priests. And as they were on their way, they were healed. And Jesus answers the crowd and the Samaritan man. He said, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Where were the other nine? (laughs) The Samaritan knew he was not entitled to anything. The Samaritan knew beyond any question, that he deserved nothing. He knew that Jesus had no obligation to in any manner care for him. He simply cried out with the other unclean men, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Jesus, have pity on us. The nine thought they were entitled to healing. That they were somebody because they were Jews. The Samaritan knew he was nothing. And now he comes as a healed man. And he casts himself down in the dust. And Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. But where are the other nine? We have a problem today in the church. And that problem is that many of you think God owes you something. You think you're entitled to something. You're not. 
You're not entitled to anything but hell. You realize that every one of us that were born on the face of the earth were born in enmity or hatred against God. Every one of us has sinned against God. And we don't deserve anything from his hand. It is just his mercy and his grace that he has shown us such love. As soon as we get a little something from God, we're on our way. Thank you very much. Thank you, Santa Claus. I had good luck. He answered my prayer. I'm good to go. And off we go. It's amazing to me over here in the book of Romans. And I'm going to turn there and and share this with you. There are statements made here that are so shocking. So shocking. In the first chapter, Paul says, there is a source of righteousness that does not come from the law. But then he says, the wrath of God, the anger of God, the the destruction from God is now being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may, may be known about God is plain to them, God has made it plain to them. And how has he made it plain? By getting the sun up every morning. By the creation of the earth. By a demonstration of his power. For Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, birds, animals, and reptiles. So in other words, the human heart in its wickedness, in its ugly sin, in its hatred of God, took all that God was willing to give and said, thank you very much. I'll have some more later. As though we were entitled. We are not entitled. The wrath of God is being poured out upon America right now. We are in such a a delicate position as the short squeeze is on to demonstrate GameStop, to demonstrate that the whole market is corrupt, rigged. And now the short squeeze on silver, again, demonstrating that the COMEX is corrupt, that it's a manipulated market. We've all known that, but now it's plain to see, even for those who 
are blind, it's plain to be seen. At every area in America right now, it's very clear the corruption, the cheating. There was no need to shut down the economy except a game plan to usher in a new world order. Now, some of you may question me on that, but let's be clear. The Spanish flu was a real pandemic, and they never shut down the economy. And neither did they demand that you wear one, two, three, a dozen masks. This is all flowing out of the desire to establish a one-world currency and a one-world government. We knew that was coming. The book of Revelation is very plain. What's shocking is that this is happening in our lifetime. This is happening right now. And if ever there was a time for the church in America to come and sit in the dust before Jesus and humble our hearts, now is that time for the wrath of God is being poured out. The terrifying passage is found in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. What created things? The internet, your cell phone, your television, technology, created by man, not by God. Money, pleasure. We have chosen in America to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And because of that lie, God has given us over as a nation. Now I'm crying out to God and I'm pleading with you to cry out with me that God would not give America over totally, that he would bring a great revival of godliness in our nation, that he would redeem us as a people, that he would not let America be swept away. There are many who are talking about the breakup of America. This has been talked about publicly for some time. Texas already has plans to secede from America and bring other states with them. There are many who say we have an illegitimate government. We are divided as we have never in the history of America, even for the Civil War, been divided by such hatred and such bitterness, such contention. It's time to come and sit before the Lord in the dust and plead for his mercy. 
He gave them over to a depraved mind. He's giving America over to a depraved mind. And we who are Christians must recognize what's happening and get in the prayer closet and cry aloud to God that we would not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, but let the kindness of God lead us to repentance. The kindness of Jesus to those ten only brought one to repent. The other nine had no interest in humbling their hearts and sitting in the dust before Jesus. I tell you, I've been sitting in the dust a lot these last weeks. Some of you have asked me, Pastor, what are you doing? Sitting in the dust before Jesus with my Bible, repenting, crying aloud for this nation, for this broadcast, for you. Saying, Lord, Lord, don't give us over to a completely depraved mind, but redeem us. When I go to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, and by the way, Romans 8 is the normal life of every Christian who's a true Christian. Romans 7 describes the person who calls themselves a Christian but have never had the victory over sin, and they are not saved. Paul is not saying in Romans 7 that he struggled with sin and was overcome by it. That's simply not true. It's an analytic present in the Greek, and it's speaking of the past as though it were the present. It's a literary device used many times in Scripture and using in our own life. And Romans 8 is the description of the normal life of the Christian after he has been baptized in the Holy Spirit and he has received a new mind. Let me read this for you. Before I do, let me say one other thing, please. I've known people, many people, who have made tremendous changes in their life. They heard about the gospel. They were invited to attend a church. They began attending, and there they discovered that they needed to give up their drugs and they needed to give up fornication. They needed to give up the pornography. They needed to give up this or that, and so they did. That was 
what was expected of them if they were going to be a part of that church. But in fact, they were never converted. They simply did that in their own power, in their own willpower. They were able to coerce themselves into a different behavior. And so we have counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists who can help you change and improve the old man of flesh. The problem is you still have the carnal, wicked, evil mind. Now, there are some who have never gone down into the depths of wickedness as other men have. And frankly, the ones who have never gone down into the depth of wickedness are often the most difficult to deal with because there is a certain self-righteousness like the nine had with the Samaritan. They have a sense of entitlement, as though God owes them something. And he doesn't. Now, be very clear with you. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. The sinful mind hates God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now let's be clear. He's not speaking here about the Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking here about the sealing of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Look at Ephesians, the first chapter. When you are born again, you are sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you must no longer think of yourself as a sinner man, but as a righteous man in Jesus. And now comes the time when we're going to have to come and cry out to God, And he will give us the power not to walk in that sin. You see, the sign that you have been born from above is that you have the strength to no longer say yes to sin. 
If you're still being swept away time after time by your sin, you have not been born from above. You still have the carnal, evil mind, the sinful mind. Now, let me be very straight with you. There's only one way your mind can be changed to the mind of the Spirit, and that's by coming and sitting in the dust and recognizing that you are dust, that you're not something special, that you were born in evil iniquity, you were born in wickedness, you were born in sin, and you are hell-bound, that you have offended the mighty God of heaven, that you are an alien and a stranger to him, and you are hell-bound. And as you sit in the dust and you recognize that you are living by the sinful nature, you must know that you are going to die. You will not live. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let's be clear. Romans 8 is a direct result of my totally surrendering my life. You see, the problem is we want to hold on to a portion of our life. We want to think yet that we are the owners somehow of this life. That's why we must come and sit in the dust and recognize that we were made out of this dust. We are just dust and ashes. I've done many funerals through the years. I've watched the big tough guys, the big muscle boys. who are so arrogant and proud in their prowess, their sexual, physical prowess. And I've spoken to them about the gospel of Jesus, and they have scorned me. And then their wives have said, would you please come? Would you do his funeral? Death is the great leveler. I've watched the beautiful woman full of laughter and gaiety, full of personality, be destroyed by cancer. The most beautiful, reduced to nothing. And we are all going to do just that. We are all going to die. It's a 100% mortality rate. This body is going to be reduced to dust. This body returns to the earth. When we come to Jesus, something different begins to happen. Flesh cannot enter into heaven. This body cannot go into the kingdom of God 
at the end of time. Paul says we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will be clothed in a new body, a spirit body that is more real and much more powerful than this weak flesh body. It requires that we come and sit in the dust before Jesus and acknowledge that we are nothing. It requires the mind of the Spirit. The mind of flesh is always looking out for self, always looking for an advantage. The mind of the flesh believes that it has the right to live like it wants to live and do what it wants to do. You know, I was... I was shocked when the Lord spoke something to me. It's something that I knew. But I was shocked by it. In 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us up also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. If you've been sexually immoral, you are tied to every person you've been sexually immoral with. There are spirit ties. You are one with them. Those ties need to be broken. They're broken by repentance. Going into the prayer closet, confessing, confessing the adultery, the fornication, the sexual uncleanness, whatever that whatever form that took. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, verse 18, this is 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually against his own body. Now, verse 19 was shocking to me, and the Lord did not say this to me in the context of sexuality. He said it in the context of my thinking that I had the right to make some decisions on my own, that I had the right to be in charge of my life. And my life was crashing at that time because I'd made very poor decisions. And I was crying out to God about those decisions. And I was asking him to answer me and to rescue me. And this is what he said. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We were bought at a price. We're not our own. That's why we must come and sit in the dust before a a just, mighty, and holy God and confess and repent and say, Lord, I've been proud. I've been arrogant. I thought I could make my own decisions. I, I recognize there's still that residue of that mind that is at enmity against you, and I cast it out in the name of Jesus. I'm not saying you're even sinning. I'm saying you just begin to recognize that part of your mind that part of your thinking, the way of operating, that you're still operating independent of God because you really don't believe that he's in charge of your life. He bought us. He bought us with his blood. He paid the ultimate price to buy us. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, the price of the life of Jesus Christ. By so doing that, he became a high priest. He became a high priest that could minister to us that could help us in our weakness. I have a passage of scripture I've just been living in. Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 23. In fact, the one The ones having become priests are many because by death they were prevented from continuing. But because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood, for which reason he is also able to save 
completely, completely, literally means utterly. King James Version says, save to the utmost. Luke uses this same phrase in the Greek of the woman who for 18 years had been bent over and could not stand up straight. In Luke 13, 11, and in verse 12, she was released. Verse 13, she was made straight. She was healed. She was able to stand up completely. Well, in the same way, this passage is used to say you can be complete in salvation. You can be completely healed of this evil mind. So whether healed of a disease or saved from sin, the work is completed. God has exalted Jesus to be the great high priest and savior of all men. To save from sin, the work is complete. His blood completely removes sin from the human heart and the human life. Now, you cannot win the battle against your sin. Your sin will sweep you away. It'll make you feel guilty. It'll cause you great anguish and pain. You must instead fix your thoughts on Jesus and recognize that now you come and sit in the dust before him and you wait before him until he raises you up and says, okay, your faith has healed you. I've restored you. There is a work of sanctification in our hearts and our minds and our bodies that is completed before we die by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is by faith. It is not of us. It is of the mighty work of Jesus. But it requires that we not come to Jesus like these lepers and say, have pity on us, and then he has pity on us, and we go on our way. That doesn't work. We have to come and sit in the dust and praise his name and worship him and give up totally and completely the wicked mind controlled by the flesh and allow him to to do a full work of restoration in our hearts and our lives. But it will require sitting in the dust. It will require recognizing that we have no power. It is all his power. We have no redemption. It is his redemption. It is what he does for us and in us and with us. Hmm. Do you understand? 
Now, many who hear this say, Pastor, that sounds great, but they refuse to come sit in the dust. They grab what little they can grab, and off they go. And in this case, the sin comes back. Jesus said, if a demon is cast out and the house is swept clean, seven more demons will come in worse than the first. This is not a situation where we go to God and we ask him to take away our leprosy. And then we're off on our own, little gods, competent, make our own decisions. No, this is a situation where we come and sit in the dust before Jesus and we become one with him. We follow him. We are filled with his spirit. Now, please, again, I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Pentecost setting. The Pentecost baptism is given for the purpose to enable us to do the work that he's called us to do after we've had this mind change from the mind of the flesh to the mind of the Spirit. And in the mind of the Spirit, then we must receive the power to fulfill the gospel commission to be fishers of men. I'm waiting for that. I'm crying out to God about that. For if ever there was a time when America needed men and women filled and baptized in Pentecost power, today is that day. So I'm waiting on God. And I'm doing exactly what he's called me to do. I'm doing this broadcast. I'm ministering to the church. I'm ministering to those that he brings into my life. But I'm not ministering in the power of the Pentecost spirit. And I will not be content. I will not be satisfied. I will sit in the dust before Jesus and continue to ask as the importunate widow did. Until finally, the word comes, now's the time. I'm waiting on Jesus. Last night in my prayer time, I said, Lord, I am so honored to be able to wait in your presence, to sit in the dust, and just wait on you. Can you think of any greater honor than to wait on Jesus? I can't, except to serve him and do what he asks me to do. To be redeemed and given a new mind. I've been asked the question, are you Pentecostal? If not, what are you? (laughs) I'm a Christian who believes in the gifts of the Spirit because the Bible believes in the gifts of the Spirit. 
Am I Pentecostal? I don't put a tag like that on me. I'm a Christian. And I'm calling you to be a Christian, a Christ follower. Not a denomination, a person, Jesus. The majesty of heaven. Well, we're out of time for today. I pray this has been helpful. We'll go further with this tomorrow. God willing, I'd love to hear from you. This is the first day of a new month. I need to send a check for last month to WAVA. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also give by going to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And I want to thank each one of you who have given so kindly, so generously this last month. I spent much of yesterday writing thank you notes. I have not gotten them all done yet. And thank you who have given online. We continue in this work together. I can't do it alone. I need brothers and sisters who will stand with me. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. You've been listening to Pastor Ray from National Prayer Chapel. I'll talk to you soon.